Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. As you probably guessed, I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host of the show. I'm happy to have you back, or if this is your first time here, I'm glad to have you. Just got back from vacation. I was at the beach for 10 days, and uh, if you listen to the last two episodes of this show, you know that uh, I did not have my microphone with me. That's the last time I'm going to make that mistake. Before I left, I thought, you know, I bet... I bet instead of lugging along this microphone and the, the other gear, uh, that I could probably make do with the microphone that comes with the earbuds on my iPhone, and I can record that into my phone and then import that into my laptop, tinker with the sound a little bit, and make it sound pretty good. Well, uh, that didn't happen. That's <laughs> the last time I'm going to make that mistake. The reality is, if, if I'm going to invest hours into a show. I want the sound to be good. I know that I personally, if the sound is terrible, that can really detract from whatever message it is that I'm trying to listen to on that show. So I'm not going to do that anymore. Happy to be home back from vacation. Uh, Another bit of news is that I'm moving. So I'm not moving very far away, but I am moving to a different house and uh, one that's going to offer me a greater the studio possibility. So I'm going to be able to set up a a better studio, hopefully in time for the two week course that I have happening at the beginning of February, because I want to get set up, have everything in place before that two week class begins. So as long as I'm talking about thelastsymptom.com, let me tell you that it's my website full free resources. And uh, I recommend that you go over and take, take advantage of that. Uh, There are also some paid services. So if you'd like to have a one-on-one conversation with me, you can schedule that right from the site. Uh, and there are other opportunities there for you to support my work by means of donations or whatever you're most comfortable with. Now, I got an email here recently uh, within the last couple of days, maybe three days, and I haven't got had a chance to reply to that message yet. But I hope that the fellers uh, listening to this show and this can serve as you know, part of his uh, reply. His suggestion was that I shorten the shows. Back at the beginning, if you'll remember, early on, the shows only lasted about 20 minutes long. And he says that uh, this was better for him, easier to digest, easier to listen to multiple times, and uh, things of that sort, and that the information you know, had a greater impact. It was easier for him to find time in his day for it. And, um, I, you know, I've been leaning that way myself lately. It's not only easier with all that I've got going on lately to do a shorter show. But also I think that it's, it can be better for people who are listening to the show. 
So I don't know if I'm always going to stick them to 20 minutes or not, maybe 30 minutes, uh, you know, 40 minutes or under, I think would be good. But that's what I'm going to be trying to do here moving forward. So without further ado, let's just uh, let's just get into today's topic about feelings, about how they're not good or bad, right or wrong. And we're going to be comparing these with thoughts. So really two subjects in one today. Feelings are never good or bad, right or wrong. What that really implies. And our thoughts. Do we really have control over our thoughts? Well, not long ago, I was asked how we can be responsible for our thoughts, behaviors, and feelings if feelings are never good or bad, right or wrong. How can we, how can we say that we're responsible for our feelings and at the same time say that feelings are never good or bad, right or wrong? Well, one big problem here is that a lot of people like to equate responsible for as meaning the same thing as guilty for. You see, this happens a lot when we're talking about parents. And I say that your parents were responsible for such and such. A lot of my listeners immediately hear, he's blaming them. He's pointing a finger at them. But do you understand that saying a person is responsible for a thing is not the same as saying that they've committed a crime. Saying a person's responsible for a thing also is not the same as pointing a finger at them. It's not the same as pulling a guilt trip on them. So our work here in Genuine Recovery, when we're trying to identify where responsibility lay, is not an act of pointing a finger or of trying to guilt somebody at all. Rather, it's looking at the situation and understanding the true mechanics of what was happening, seeing the true nature of what was going on, seeing clearly the different players' roles in that situation. So when we're looking at our parents or we're looking at ourselves and we're trying to determine who who was responsible... This has nothing whatsoever to do with pointing fingers or of uh, trying to pull guilt trips on people. Rather, it's looking at the situation and understanding the reality of it. So again, when we say that a person is responsible for a thing, it's not the same as saying that they've committed a crime or that they're a bad person or any of these things. We're simply saying who was responsible and who failed in that responsibility. You know, you look back at your childhood and uh, you think about the things that uh, you've been carrying around for a long time. Who was responsible at that time for your needs? You know, you think about like a submarine captain. The very fact that a submarine captain has agreed to accept that position of captain, the mere fact that he has accepted that position inherently involves, inherently places certain responsibilities upon him, whether he likes it or not. You can't be a submarine captain without the responsibilities that come with it. And when something bad happens on that submarine, poor decisions are made, 
the person responsible for those failures is the captain. You know, it's no different than with parents or with ourselves, depending on our roles in life. The mere fact that you're a parent means that inherently you have certain responsibilities, that you're responsible inherently for certain things. When you're a child and you're dependent on adults, this means that inherently you are not responsible for certain things, that your parents are responsible for those things. I say this because uh, often people I talk to think back of their childhoods and they think, well, my mom or my dad, they were struggling with this and they were struggling with that and they didn't know this and they didn't know that and I should have been able to make up for some of what they couldn't do. You, You see what's happening there you're not identifying who properly had that responsibility and who proper and who properly did not. There's no such thing as you as a child having should been able to do what your parents were responsible for. It was never your responsibility to fill in their neglect or to make up for uh, what they simply were failing to do. So, you know, that conversation about responsibility, you know, that could be an entire show in and of itself. But the reason why I'm trying to help you understand that responsible for a thing is not the same as saying that somebody's committed a crime is because people are responsible for their thoughts and actions in one sense. And then they're responsible for their feelings in an entirely different sense. So you're responsible for and you have control over your thoughts and your actions. So because you have control over these things, you can be held accountable for them. In other words, your thoughts and your actions are things you choose. Let me say that again. Your thoughts and your actions are things you choose to do. So for these things, you can be held accountable. They can be classified as good or bad, right or wrong, accurate or inaccurate. But what about feelings? You do not have control over feelings. Feeling is not even a thing you do. It's something you experience. So let me say that again. Feeling something is not something you do. Rather, it's something you experience. Because of this, nobody and nothing can hold you accountable for things you simply feel. You're responsible over your feelings in the sense that they're your feelings. They're being generated within you yourself. They're not being generated by some outside person or thing. You know, this is the whole reason why the concept of triggers is bullshit. Nothing outside of you is generating your feelings for you. Only you, you yourself, within yourself, is where the feelings are being generated. Not by some outside person or thing. Whatever you feel is what you feel. There's nothing good or bad, right or wrong, about how you simply feel. Nobody... Not even God can hold you accountable for anything you simply feel or for how you feel. 
because feeling isn't something you do or don't do again. It's not an action you're choosing to carry out or that you could change even if you wanted to. It's not up to you. Whatever you feel is just what you feel. It's just something you experience. So, this is the reason why what you feel is not good or bad, right or wrong. It's not something you're choosing to do. So, in an earlier version of this conversation, there were some replies about me not being able to speak for God, and a few fanatics began to throw some scriptures around. I mean, it really quickly turned in, started turning into a religious discussion, which I did not want it to do. And they started throwing biblical scriptures around to try to, to show why I'm wrong about this. Also, a few lazy people started writing their replies before even bothering to meditate over or digest everything I had just told them. And they wanted to argue that we can't, in fact, control our thoughts. That the idea that we can control our thoughts is not true. So let's talk about these two things a little bit. Let me say this. If your religion teaches that God judges you based on your feelings, go find a different religion. Because anybody telling you that is full baloney. Now, having said this, I'm skeptical that your religion teaches this at all. In fact, unless you're really a member of a cult, I mean, that term your your people will say that anybody any religious person who's in any religious organization that that's a cult um, and they do this because they they just hate religion but it's not being very honest just because you're in a religion doesn't mean you're in a cult but unless you truly are in a cult I'm pretty skeptical that your religion teaches that God judges you based on your feelings at all Instead, I'd say that the much more likely explanation is that you yourself are twisting what the religion teaches to fit your already unhealthy concepts. And I would say that this is not only possible, but probable based on my experience of interacting with people every day who do the same thing with what I tell them. So I choose my wording very carefully. I explain concepts very thoroughly and at the end the person says oh so brian barnett is saying this this and this and i've said none of those things <laughs> so people who are unhealthy they just have the tendency to twist the things they hear and the things they read to match and support what they already have erroneous concepts about so if your religion teaches that god judges you based on your feelings I would say the most likely thing is that that's what's happening, uh, that you're interpreting the messages through an improper filter that's causing you to arrive at that conclusion yourself, but that the religion itself may not be teaching that at all. Those quote in Bible scriptures seemed unable to separate what was being described as actions or of individuals continuing to entertain improper thoughts from feelings. Our actions 
and our feelings are not the same thing. Our thoughts and our feelings are not the same thing. Our actions, our thoughts, and our feelings are three distinct things. But people confuse them often, and that causes problems in their ability to understand exactly what it is they're dealing with or the proper attitudes that they should have toward each of these things individually on their own merits. The way you look at and consider thoughts should not be the same way that you look at and consider feelings, the nature of feelings. A second thing is, time after time, I've explained that a fundamental tenet of my work is that feelings are never good or bad, right or wrong. This isn't my cute theory on the nature of feelings. This is the reality of what the nature of feelings just is. So if you're a member of my group or if you follow me and you're secretly harboring the the belief that God judges you on the basis of your feelings, this is a direct contradiction to the very foundation of my work. It's a direct contradiction to the notion that feelings are never good or bad, right or wrong. Do you see why? Feelings can't inherently not be good or bad, and at the same time, be something that God uses to judge you. This is a total contradiction. So if you're somebody who believes in God, then whatever the inherent nature of a thing just truly is, then that's also the way God sees it. In other words, whatever God's perspective on a thing is, this is also the final word on its inherent nature. Because he's the one who created it and he's the ultimate authority. When we talk about learning to correctly see the inherent true nature of things, this is synonymous with aligning our perspectives with God's perspectives on things. If, again, if you're somebody who believes in God, I understand that there's people listening who don't believe in God, but I have to address this because people who do believe in God are dealing with this concern. Their understanding of God determines the way they view the nature of these things. So God's perspective on feelings simply has to be that feelings themselves are never good or bad, right or wrong. The same thing I'm teaching you. Thoughts or perspectives, you know, perspectives just are thoughts, that are behind certain feelings might be good or bad, right or wrong. Notice what I'm saying. Thoughts behind feelings might be good or bad, right or wrong, accurate or inaccurate. But feelings themselves cannot be. What you feel is not your thoughts. And what you're thinking in your head is not your feelings. Your feelings are one thing, and your thoughts are something else. Yes, they do work together, but they're not one and the same thing. You know, sight and hearing also work very closely together. This does not mean that they're one and the same thing. 
So practice distinguishing between what are your thoughts and what are your feelings on their own merits as distinct things. Your thoughts can be good or bad, right or wrong. And these thoughts may give birth to feelings. The thoughts might be bad, but how they make you feel cannot be classified as a good or bad thing. The nature of these two things, our thoughts and our feelings, do not fit into the same category. So think of the nature of what electricity is. And now think about the nature of what wind is. Is the nature of these two things the same? Do both the wind and electricity behave exactly the same way, and do they both obey the exact same rules? Do they interact with, and are they influenced by their environments in the same way? Do they both originate the same way? No, 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 and no, right? But are they both forces of nature? Yeah, regardless, they're still two distinct things. And when we analyze them and we use them or we harness them, we have to do so appreciating that they're two distinct things with different purposes and uses and so on and so forth. So thoughts can be bad. Your thoughts can be bad. Your feelings can't be. So if you can't reconcile your belief in God with the idea that feelings are never good or bad, right or wrong, you might as well go someplace else because I can't help you. You got to get to a place where you see why. Get to a place where you clearly see why. Feelings can't be good or bad, right or wrong. But if you can't come to terms with this fundamental truth, one way or another, you might as well go someplace else. It's that simple, because the entire foundation of my work is built upon this single truth. And if you can't come to terms with this truth because of your concepts of God and his personality, well, your notions of God are wrong, and I can't help you. But I won't debate those who believe things blindly or just because they want to believe what they want to believe or because they can't give up the false concepts they've been taught their entire lives by other people whose own perspectives are skewed and erroneous. Now let's talk about thoughts. If I see a billboard on the side of the road of a girl in her panties, I might immediately have sexual thoughts, which I have no control over. Or a person might say to me, Brian, don't think about purple elephants. Well, of course, the first thing that will come into my mind are purple elephants, right? So what happens is that uh, some disingenuous people want to focus on this aspect of thought at the exclusion of everything else. They want to focus on this one aspect of thought and say, see there, we can't control what we think. We can't control what we think because when you looked at the billboard, whether you wanted to or not, you had sexual thoughts. 
when you saw that girl up there in her panties. Or when I ask you to not to think about purple elephants, you think about it even though you might not have chosen to. Do you, do you see why this argument is disingenuous? I've very specifically stated over and over again that as people, we have full control over what we continue thinking about. This has always been my wording. We have full control over what we continue thinking about. Do you know what this means in practical terms, that we can control what we choose to continue thinking about? It means that for all intents and purposes, if some thoughts pop into our heads out of our control, the fact that this can happen is utterly irrelevant. If we can control what we choose to continue thinking about, then isn't it completely and totally irrelevant if I have an uninvited thought about murdering my neighbor? Yes, it's, it's totally irrelevant. Because as long as I can recognize the thought and reject it and choose to think about something else, what this means for all intents and purposes is the fact that such a thought occurred at all means nothing whatsoever. The only thing that matters is did I choose to continue thinking that thing or not. So in every practical sense that actually matters, we have total control over our thoughts. No matter what thoughts pop into my head, I can push it away and think about something else. The exception to this is when people are dealing with mental illness. And mental illness is when one's brain is malfunctioning. You know, men, being mentally ill means that your brain is not functioning the way that it's supposed to function. Borderline personality disorder is an emotional disorder. It's not a mental illness. So those who have borderline personality disorder only, those who are not also living with additional issues that might include mental illness, these people are not dealing with a malfunctioning brain. Their brains are working precisely the way they're supposed to, in which case they have total control over their thoughts because they can choose what they will continue thinking about, even if sometimes we get thoughts that we didn't choose. We can still choose to push them to the side and think about something else instead. Anybody continuing to focus on the fact that random thoughts sometimes pop into our heads without, without our choice, but who focus on this while ignoring the much more relevant point that we all have the ability to choose to reject such thoughts and that we have total power to redirect our thoughts anywhere else that we choose, these people don't want to get better. Instead, they want to argue in defense of not getting better. And in this case, I invite such people to go someplace else and let me focus on those who are following me for sincere reasons because they really want to focus upon what's practical, what really is relevant, and authentically recover from borderline personality disorder. Excuse me. I had a hiccup or a burp there or something <laughs> happened right in the middle of that, that sentence. 
So that's the conversation for today. Let me remind you to run over to thelastsymptom.com, support my work with a donation. That would be very appreciated. It allows me to do what I do here. If you're interested in a one-on-one conversation with me, you can schedule that right from thelastsymptom.com. And that brings us to the end of the show and a little thing I like to call the encouraging finale. Most of you know that I grew up in the Appalachian wilderness and life was quite different from what most people are used to. We didn't have running water, so we would drink from springs, wells, and uh, that sort of thing. I remember my great-grandmother had a well out front of the house with a bucket and a, a tin water scooper. An uncle or an aunt or somebody would pull up a bucket of water from that open well and hang the scooper right on the side of the bucket. And the whole neighborhood drank out of that same bucket using that scooper. That's a good memory. I, I miss that. We also had a freshwater spring that we used at my house. And uh, as I've told you before, every night uh, it was my job to go over the hill with a couple buckets in the dark and uh, retrieve enough water to get us through the night and the next day as far as washing, cooking, drinking, uh, and that sort of thing goes. from that spring and it was full of mosquito larvae, wiggly worms, and I said, uh, Dad, wh- what about these worms? He said, oh, come on now, that's not going to hurt you. He scooped up some water and drank it like nothing doing. I said, well, if he can do it, I can do it. <laughs> and you know, years later, I started wondering, is there anything harmful about mosquito larvae? And would you believe mosquito larvae is a sign that the water is clean? because the mosquitoes will not plant their eggs in water that's not clean. It did teach me that experience, that some things were mind over matter. That attitude has served me well in life. (laughs) 